0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In times of crisis, and even in times of personal failure, the Lord shows His kindness and His mercy. This celebration of the body and blood of Christ is a perfect example. It's a a beautiful, beautiful feast day. Relatively new as feast days go. Obviously, we frequently have new saints who are canonized and new feast days to celebrate, but solemnities of the Lord are um, sparse. And even though we've designated the Sunday after Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday, there were no new prayers composed. It was simply the prayers and the readings of the octave day of Easter lent themselves to that designation. But what we do today is allow the composed words of St. Thomas Aquinas to guide us in prayer. And there's something very unique in these prayers, both at the opening prayer, which is the prayer um, used at benediction, or in the closing prayer, Christ himself is addressed. We speak directly to Jesus Christ in those orations, those propers of the day, which is almost entirely unique because the prayers of Mass are directed to God the Father. Ordinarily, we um, reflect that in the opening prayer and in the prayer after communion, usually mentioning our Lord by name, but as we pray to God the Father. It's a mark of a relatively modern prayer, even if it's 800 years old. There's, a, uh, there's something new, there's something unique the church found herself in a time of great trial and distress in those years. There were many heresies that were calling into question the very foundation of the, of the faith, even the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, whether it was uh, mistakes of, of Berengarianism or mistakes of the Hussites, whether it be those who, who didn't think the Blessed Sacrament was that important or those who, in misunderstanding it, exaggerated some aspects of it. The flag of the Hussites was a, a banner with a, a chalice they were They were insistent that the faithful must receive the sacred host and the precious blood and and failing to do that refusing was tantamount to depriving them of communion with christ and and what a what a tragic mistake it is to be that um, uh, Forgetful of, of the unity of Christ. The, the the bread turns into our Lord's actual body. His his real body that was conceived in the Blessed Virgin Mary, that died on the cross, that rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. Because he is alive and not a cadaver, that sacred body is inseparable from his blood, from his soul, from his divinity. What will be in the chalice is wine, and after the words of consecration, that will turn into our Lord's precious blood. The very same blood that coursed through his veins and those of the Blessed Virgin. The same blood that was shed on the cross. And because that blood is alive and not dead, it is inseparable from our Lord's body, his soul, and his divinity. In order to get this message across, the church made it then absolutely um, uniform that the faithful would not receive from the chalice so as to drive home the point that any particle of the blessed sacrament, a drop of his blood or a particle of his body, is entirely Christ, complete body, blood, soul, and divinity. We, Our generation still needs to learn that lesson. Every generation will need to relearn that lesson. It was in my first parish, maybe my first year. It was a first Holy Communicant who is now on to her second Holy Communion. And in uh, as it so happens towards the end of the line with the, the ciborium running low, the, the sacred host uh, was um, not a complete host. It was half of a host. And as the little one came forward and I held up our Lord and I said, the body of Christ, she looked up at me and she said, that's only part of him. (laughs) Well, eventually she learned the lesson that, no, that's uh, that's not just a part of Jesus. That is our Lord and Savior. It's that kind of Um, physical imagination that leads almost all of us to wonder in first grade or second grade if if that really is the body of Christ and if, if Jesus was maybe about six feet tall maybe six two and over you know around 200 pounds or so then when does he run out most have that question very few had the courage to ask out loud but almost all of us had that question But it wasn't just a time of of general confusion, a time when the church was was visited by great reformers, St. Norbert and the Norbertines, St. Francis and the Franciscans, St. Dominic and the Dominicans. But but it's also an individual struggle. It was individual failures that called for God's responding to specific people. And so in Bolsena, when, when... when, when Peter was offering Mass, having finished his pilgrimage to Rome, but unsuccessfully finding his faith again, when, the, when, when he said the words of consecration, the, the host bled on him and on the altar cloths. And fortunately in Orvieto, very nearby, was Pope Urban IV, and also fortunately St. Thomas Aquinas was teaching at the studium right there in those years. A year later, Pope Urban IV declared the solemnity of Corpus Christi and the prayers of St. Thomas Aquinas are now in our Roman Missal and always will be. In one sense, when 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 we are witness to the church reiterating the faith that has always been believed and always been accepted, there's something very sad going on. It means, it means that the faith was so poorly transmitted and so poorly understood and so poorly taught and so poorly celebrated that huge numbers of Christians didn't know and didn't celebrate the Christian faith in its entirety. And so the truth had to be proclaimed with even more solemnity. Solemnity even more vigor. That happens from time to time. But instead of having a heavy heart about it, we we see how God transforms this into something joyful. Instead of being being sad and declaring that uh, uh, annually there will be a lecture that will be recited to make sure that everyone gets the point about the Blessed Sacrament from the 13th century onward, no. We'll have another feast day. We'll have another solemnity. We're going to celebrate with even greater love and devotion that which has been neglected for too long. And so it's, it's, it's with that missionary spirit that, we, that we, we thank the Lord for the opportunity to, to, to know him. And to be to be able to receive him, and and to be part of his mission, and to celebrate him, especially when we know that in every generation, at some point in the world, there is a church that is under attack, there is a tabernacle that's been desecrated, there's a missionary that's been murdered. And so our task is not simply to, to remain faithful to the truth, but to proclaim this and to, to sanctify the world. And our procession, we won't be led by the servers or, or the choristers, as fantastic as they are. We'll be led by the Knights of Columbus with swords. Following them, individual groups that are intact for solely communicants, Confirmation Kids, St. Peter Claver Society, Pro-Life Advocates. And then our Lord, Choir, and then all the faithful. Our mission is to the world. Our mission isn't just um, to maintain our faith. For some people, the task will be to, to proclaim the faith so, so completely that they suffer for it, and others will have the task of, of caring for them or burying them. You might know St. Paul in his letters talks about how the desire to be a bishop is a noble thing. The bishop was the first one to be killed when the church was being persecuted. That's why it's a noble thing. It's not noble the desire to be in charge as much as it's noble to desire to be the one who suffers the most. And in that, we should try to outdo each other in love and generosity. The Blessed Virgin Mary can teach us that lesson. Who loved the Lord the most, who suffered because of him the most? She teaches us how to receive him and to know that he doesn't come into us just so that we feel better. It's not just for our personal fulfillment. He comes to us so that God can be known and the world can be reconciled to the Father and we can all be drawn up into the sacrifice that takes us to heaven. We receive our Lord, not just so that we feel better, as much as God does want us to know how much we are loved and what kind of mercy is available to us if we repent. He, he does want us to be healed and complete and whole and holy, but he, he doesn't come to us in Holy Communion just for our benefit. Just to satisfy our needs. He comes to transform us so that God can be known. And that the world may know God the Father and be reconciled to him and be drawn up into this sacrifice. When our Lord was dying on the cross, he was still in his apostles who received him at the Last Supper. It is only Christ who died on the cross, it is his sacrifice. But his sacrifice does not want to be separated from his mystical body, from his brothers and sisters, from us. So I encourage you, don't just believe in the sacrament, and even don't even just receive the sacrament, but realize the purpose of the sacrament. And consciously participate in the mission of Christ in the world and the mission of Christ to gather everyone and everything together to participate in the sacrifice that is rendered to God the Father. And so we ask the Lord for his forgiveness for all of our neglect and all the neglect that he suffers, the abuse and the sacrilege that are directed specifically at Him and even specifically in the Blessed Sacrament by those who supposedly believe in Him and those who reject Him. But we also beg for forgiveness for our neglect, for our lukewarmness, for our laziness. And we thank Him that He still comes to us. He still looks with mercy on on a fallen world And on a church full of sinners, and each of us individually, we ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to teach us what it means to be a temple of God, to be a living tabernacle, to be the proclamation of the power and the majesty of God, how to love, how to suffer, how to remain with Christ, how to lift ourselves up into a sacrifice and how to give proper honor and worship to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.